Well, I'm happy to report that I'm feeling much better. Um, I think Ash has stayed home, maybe. My wife stayed home today because she wasn't feeling well. Um, so at our house, we had the plague visit us, and uh, it wasn't pretty, uh, but we're on the back end now, hopefully coming out healthy. Um, go ahead and do me a favor. Grab a Bible. They should be in baskets down by your feet, and get with me to Exodus chapter 3. That's on page 46 in the Bibles that we have here, uh, page 46. Um, we're doing a series right now called Foundations. We're looking at some of the kind of basic categories of our faith, things that we, we could easily take for granted as a church, as a Christian church. We could think, you know what, I bet everyone kind of thinks there's a God and probably thinks he's like this. And I bet everyone kind of thinks that the Bible is important and would fill it in in this way. But, but one of the things that became apparent to me was through conversations, not only with members of our church, but those outside of our church as well, there's a lot of confusion around some of these basic subjects. And so I wanted to make sure that as a church, we, we spent some time just kind of laying that foundational piece under everything that we do and saying, you know what, this is what the Bible says about these different categories. And I feel like that's an important thing for us uh, in this season of life. So I picked up a book by James Packer. Uh, I read it maybe 15 or 20 years ago, and I was rereading it this week. And this, this line struck me because today we're going to look at the topic of God. And his book is called Knowing God, and he puts it like this. What is the best thing in life bringing more joy delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. We're going to talk about God today, and this isn't some kind of irrelevant little reflection on God who knows, you know, how this thing is going to land or anything like that. The truth is, as we reflect on God, his nature, his ways, as we think about who he is, it is insanely practical, and it has the ability to transform our lives. The Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, he put it like this, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom we call Father. So we're going to look at this topic of God from Exodus chapter 3. So let's pray and we'll get after it. Lord, would you please help us to know you? We want to know what you're like, know about your character, know what you require from us, Lord. We want you to use this time by your spirit, through your word, to communicate to our hearts, Lord, and let us know that you exist and you're real and you want to be known. And there are certain things about you that we have to reckon with. And so help us, God, to embrace all of that this morning and be your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the truth is, it was kind of hard to pick a place to go to, to talk about God because we could have looked at really anywhere in the Bible and realized, oh, this is a book written by God. It's about him. It communicates his character, his nature, and his plan. But Exodus chapter 3 is a very important part of the Bible where God reveals himself to, uh, to Moses, to, to a servant. And, and it's kind of at the front end of the Bible. So he's telling us about his nature and his ways. And he's revealing to us here that he exists and he wants to be known, and there's something to be learned about his character. So let's go ahead and jump into the, into the story. We're going to notice some of the char characteristics of God as we move through the text itself. But the first thing I want you to see is that the, there's this God who makes himself known, that there's a God who exists and he wants to be in relationship with his creation. So he communicates to his people, and we see this in, in verses 1 to 6. So the background here, look at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
Now, Moses, if you know anything about his background, he uh, was born and then he was adopted into the royal family. He lived in the palace for 40 years. He was an Israelite, so when he saw a, a, an oppressive situation happening between a slave driver and the Israelites, he kind of snapped to it and he said, I'm going to do something about this. So he, he steps in and he ends up killing this uh, oppressive slave driver. When that becomes public information, he runs away. He, he realizes, oh, that trip I've been planning to uh, the desert wilderness, I'm going to make that happen right now. And he pieces out, he runs away, and he ends up living in this place, and he meets a girl, he marries her, he's got this father-in-law, Jethro, and he takes up the, the family business of herding a flock of sheep. So his life isn't going exactly how he probably planned it would go. And we find out from the book of Acts, he's been here something like 40 years now, so this is, you know, 80 years into his life, and now all of a sudden God is going to speak to him. But he's tending the flock of Jethro, the priest of Midian. He's in the desert wilderness, and he came to the mountain of God, and God now begins to speak. Now God reveals himself as a fire. Look at verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. God is revealing something about his character. He's communicating to humanity, and he's, he's saying, this is what I'm like. So, so he uses symbolism, and he's saying, he's this fire, and it's burning, and, and, and it's not burning the bush up, but it's burning. And so Moses is, is intrigued by it, and he moves over to it. But the reality that God uses the fire is something, it tells us something about God. Now, fire is both warm and welcoming. It's also terrifying. It's warm and welcoming. We, we love having a fire in the fireplace or in the pit. We love sitting around it and warming ourselves and cooking s'mores and hanging out and telling stories. We, it's, it's warm and welcoming. It's something that we appreciate. But we also are terrified by fire because fire can ravish things. It can destroy things. You look at Paradise, California, and everything has been incinerated because of fire. So fire is both warm and welcoming, and that's a part of what God is like, that he draws us to himself. But at the same time, simultaneously, God is this raging fire that we need to be fearful of. A couple weeks ago, we were at my parents' house. We, it was all the siblings and the grandkids, and we were hanging out. And then my mom got a phone call, and I could see her face change. She, she looked very concerned. And she gets off the phone. She goes, come on, we're going down to the farm. And we go down to the farm and we find uh, Micah and Tim. And what happened was they have puppies out at the tree farm. They breed golden retrievers and Burmese mountain dogs and I don't know, all kinds of things. They got like kangaroos. It's crazy out there. But they breed these puppies and they were in a, they were in a building and they had a heat lamp above their little areas so that they could feel warm and they could feel that comfort and that warmth. And uh, Micah was, check was clocking out of work and he goes in there and it's just smoke everywhere. And he gets help, he gets other people. So when mom got the phone call, it was the, it was the call that, hey, the heat lamp fell into the kennel with the puppies and things are starting to burn up. So we rush down there and the puppies are, are fine. Tim's got them in a little box. He's holding on to them like this. And um, the puppies are fine. They go up to the house and they're, they're fine. But, but it was frightening. It was unsettling because... A couple minutes later, the whole building could have been up in flames. And that's how we think about fire. We love fire. We love the warmth of it. We love what it, what it can do for us. But at the same time, there's something about it that is frightening, that we, we, we want it to be in a safe place. And so that's something that we learn about God. God is this reality that's warm and, and inviting, but at the same time, 
we, we have to be careful around him because he is, as the writer to Hebrews will put it, he's a consuming fire. And so to come near him is actually to put ourselves in jeopardy. Now, this fire, this bush is on fire, but it doesn't burn up. We learn something else about God. He's self-sustaining. We, when we think about our fireplaces, we think, okay, if I want a fire in there, I just keep feeding wood, right? If I want this fire to keep burning, I have to keep putting fuel on it so it'll keep going. God is not like that. If you have a gas fireplace like me, I have to pay my bill. If I want this thing to stay on, there's a fuel source that needs to keep going into it, but God is self-sustaining. He, in his own existence, he, he's able to do things. And so he's telling Moses something by revealing himself to Moses in this burning bush that's on fire but does not burn up. Look what happens next, verse 3. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. God speaks to him. Moses draws near now and God begins to communicate to him. And that's something that we need to be aware of. You're here this morning because God wants to address you. He wants to communicate to you. There is a God who exists and he's revealing his own character and nature to us. And at the same time, he wants to speak to us. He wants to personally address us by name, Moses, Moses. And he's, he's talking to him. He tells him basically that God is holy. Verse five, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. God is now communicating another part of his character. He's saying, hold on, you stop right there because you are standing on holy ground. Don't come any closer and take off your shoes. And, and I know that's weird. We, you know, we, okay, what's going on here? What is holiness? What does it mean that he's put, you know, causing Moses to stop and not approach him any closer, and God is, is communicating to us this idea of holiness, which we're not that comfortable with because we never even use the word anymore. We use it when we stub our toe or when something surprises us. But this idea of holiness is that God is different, that he's not just another thing in the world, that he is distinct from his creation, that he is separate, that he is different, and he is holy. And his holiness is overwhelming. His holiness can be communicated to other objects. You've got shovels in the temple that are holy and, you know, wick trimmers and different tools in the temple. And those things become holy. They're ordinary items you might use in your household, but, but they become holy in the presence of God. And in the same way, this ground where the sheep are marching through, this desert wilderness that's not very impressive, this ground, God says, take your shoes off because the place where you're standing is holy ground because it's close to, to me, God is saying. This place that you're standing on is holy ground, and so you need to prepare yourself to even be here. Now, this holiness of God, I don't want to lose it. I, I, I know that as a church, we want to be a warm and welcoming place. We want people to come as they are. We, we want you to be able to come in and, you know, just, just feel, feel at ease and feel comfortable. But at the same time, I don't want to lose this reality that we're dealing with a holy God that there's something to the, the nature of God himself, that he is holy. And, and when we come into his presence, there ought to be this kind of trepidation, this kind of, oh, I'm dealing with something so different that I don't just do that casually. I don't just do that flippantly. And, and for me personally, there was a season in my life where the holiness of God, as I was reading my own Bible and seeing this come up over and over and over again in a lot of different ways, 
that reality of the holiness of God began to transform me. It began to change the way that I was thinking about God. And this flippant and casual approach to him, uh, it, it just wasn't sufficient. It didn't match up with his majesty. God is a holy God. He wants to be known, but he, he, he's telling us here he's a holy God, so we need to be careful in how we approach him. In fact, we, we might even put it like this. Sinners can't really come into God's presence without feeling a little threatened because he's holy and we're not. In fact, the, the fire theme that we see here has been running from even the very beginning of Genesis. When Adam and Eve move out of the garden, move out of the glory of, of God's presence, angels are there with flaming torches guarding the way back. And we just know then, okay, we can't just march into God's presence as sinful people and expect that to go well. And so he communicates himself as holy. He shows us that he's the God of history. Look at verse 6. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's the God of human history. He's the one who made all things and controls all things. That he's been actively at work in history over all the years. That he's the one who made promises hundreds of years previous to this people group, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God is now re-engaging, saying, I am that God. I didn't go away. 400 years have passed, but I didn't, I didn't remain silent during that season. I didn't, just, I, I didn't just, you know, forget about you guys. I'm the God of history, and what, what's about to happen is going to be connected with these events that happened formerly. God is at work, and we need to be aware of that, that God is at work in your life, and you have this rich history of how God has dealt with people throughout human history. God is the God of the promise. He's the God over Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And behind all of this, we find out that God is accommodating to humanity. That he is a holy God, a blazing fire, but at the same time, he accommodates us because he talks to us. He addresses us so we can understand him. He communicates to us through human words. He he, he gives us instructions that if we're going to approach God, we should recognize his holiness and make some, some adjustments, take our shoes off and, and prepare ourselves to interact with him. So God is the God who meets us where we're at. And he does that in a profound way. And, and he makes provision for us to be in his presence. And I was thinking through this. How is it that Moses or me or anybody really could ever interact with a holy God like that? How, how could I come into contact with a God who is a raging fire? How could you, how could Moses, how could anybody do this unless God made provision for it to happen? And I want to show you something here. It's easy to blow by the provision that God has made, but it's right here in the text in front of us. Look again at verse 2. In, the, in verse 2, right there on the front end, we're told that this is the angel of the Lord the angel of the Lord. It's, it's this expression of God in, in some kind of tangible form that God shows up. And this isn't just another angel like, you know, Gabriel, Michael, whatever. It's not just another angel, but this is the angel of the Lord himself who we find out from scripture, bears his name, has his authority, has his power, has, it is God in this form that we call the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord one Old Testament scholar put it like this. There's only one other person in the Bible who's both identical with yet distinct from the Lord himself. One who without abandoning the full essence and prerogatives of deity 
or diminishing the divine holiness is able to accommodate himself to the company of sinners. And who, while affirming the wrath of God, is yet a supreme display of his outreaching mercy. The angel of God cannot be understood except as the pre-incarnate expression of Jesus Christ himself. This is Jesus. The reason why Moses can come into the contact, come in contact with a holy and raging fire of a God is because the angel of the Lord is mediating that presence to him. The, the only reason why he can stand there and bear the weight of the glory of God is because Jesus is there interceding on his behalf. Jesus is present. My, my kids love this little program. It's called Superbook. It's like this animated Bible uh, thing that's on Right Now Media. And so we watch it pretty often. Uh, but the other night we were watching it and we're laying there and Harrison's watching it. He loves it every night. He's like, can we watch Superbook? It's kind of his routine right now. And, and he gets super pumped about watching Superbook. It's a story about some kids and they have a robot and then the Bible keeps drawing them into stories which is weird when I say it out loud, but that's kind of what's going on. Two kids, robot, Bible stories. Um, so we're watching it, and it's an Old Testament story with the angel of the Lord. And so we're, we're laying there, and I'm playing on my phone, and Harrison's watching intently. And uh, it's a story from the Old Testament with the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord shows up, and, and he's identical with how they draw Jesus. So Harrison sits up, and he's like, it's Jesus. And he's like, mom, 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 it's Jesus. Dad, look, look, it's Jesus. He, he gets it. He understands that when we find the angel of the Lord in, in the Old Testament, it is an expression of Jesus Christ before he was born. And that's how we can come into the contact of a holy God who otherwise we'd be in a lot of trouble. Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to deal with the God who is holy, the God who is fire. It's the only way that Moses can be there. It's the only way that I can stand in the glory of God. It's the only way that any sinner can come into the presence of God himself. The angel of the Lord is the way that God makes himself available to us. It's his son. It's Jesus saying, by faith in me, you can draw near. By faith in what Christ has done, you can have access to this awesome reality of God himself. So God communicates to us. He wants to be known. He tells us about himself. He's a holy and awesome God, a raging fire, and he invites us into a relationship with him. And then he tells us that he both sees and he sends people into the world. Look at verses 7 to 10. God is the one who sees and sends. He, he, he's not only the one who wants to be known, he's also the one who's at work in the world, and he calls us into action. God is a compassionate God. Look at verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. God, even though he's holy, even though he's awesome, he is not remote. He is not distant. He doesn't look at your life and go, you know what, I'm aloof to this whole thing. I don't really care. I just do my thing, but you guys are on your own. Good luck. God is the God who, who looks on our lives with compassion, and I have both the, the privilege and the weight of pastoring this community, which means that, that it's a joy, but it's also something that just weighs heavy on me because I get to hear all of the different stories of brokenness, of pain, of hurt, of marriages that are in jeopardy, of, of things that aren't going well, of sicknesses and diseases and, and incidents that you didn't plan for and financial hardships and all of that. And, and here's what God is reminding us. He is the God 
who's not standing far back going, I'm not really interested in your ordinary life and all that trouble. God is the one who sees and he's concerned. I'm concerned with your suffering. That's what the Lord says. He's not unaware of how you came in this morning, just kind of limping in, going, man, I'm here. I want to, I want to sing. It's kind of hard because stuff right now is not going the way that I had planned. The brokenness of our lives, God is not remote from that. He's looking on it with compassion and he cares for you. And he cares in a very profound way. He's going to do something about it. Look at verse eight. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good land and a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey and all kinds of ites, um, all kinds of different people. And he's saying, I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to bring you into this good land. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to swoop in and I'm going to rescue this people. So God, this is, how, this is how he works. He looks at our suffering. He looks at our estate and he goes, I'm concerned here and I'm going to do something about it. And I'm going to rescue this people. He did that for the Israelites. He does that for his people over and over throughout history. God sees, he cares, and he acts. He's at work bringing about the goodness of his blessings giving us the hope of eternal life and the hope of the new heavens and the new earth and all of the blessings that the promised land never even really fulfilled. God is the God who is helping us to realize he has good intentions for us and he will see it through. So here's the plan. He's going to send Moses. Look at verse 10. God speaking, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Here's the game plan. God knows the pain and the hurt and the suffering Here's the plan. I'm going to take this failed individual Moses and he's going to be my guy. And I was thinking, there's got to be a better way, right? You, if we're familiar with Moses' story, he's the one who's the failed deliverer. He tried to take it into his own hands. He couldn't do it. He's the guy who's 80, 80 years old now and has been living off in the desert wilderness, hiding from the consequences of his actions. And God looks at him and he goes, you're my guy. I'm going to use you. And, and this is what God does. He could easily do it himself. God could easily bring about rescue and transformation by himself through some mighty act and display of his power. But what does he do? He looks at us and he goes, you guys are in. You're going to be a part of this thing. The rescue that I'm going to do, you're going to be intimately involved in it. That is not some incident here. This is actually how God works. Over and over throughout scripture, here's what God does. He is working salvation, but he uses ordinary people, broken people, hurting people. He uses people you wouldn't expect, but God says, I'm going to co-opt you into my mission and you're going to be the vehicle and the instrument that I'm going to bring about the news of my salvation in my son, Jesus. That's crazy. But listen, friends, this is what the, the people of God, this is what we are. We're the missionary people of God. God does this. He, he, he doesn't just want you to attend church. He wants you to be sent as an agent of his rescuing work. That's true for everyone who's a Christian. We, we harp on this pretty often here at our campus because I, I believe this is one of the key features of the church, that we are supposed to be a sent people. Now that sending looks different depending on God's calling on your life. Some of us, we're going to open up our lives, we're going to open up a map, and we're going to go, okay, God, I will go wherever you want. You just put the little marker on the map, I will be there. Cross-cultural, fine. Frontier missions, fine. I will go wherever you send me. Some of us, we open up our lives and we open up the map and we realize God says, I'm sending you to your neighborhood. 
You don't even have to move homes. You're here, but I want you to do that intentionally because I'm going to use you to communicate the goodness of, of who God is to this world. Some of you, it's your workplace. God sends all of us. So the truth is, everyone in here who's a Christian, I think that you are a missionary ambassador of Christ. And you get to go in his name with his authority and you get to communicate something of the beauty of God to the people you interact with. And that's a privilege. And that's a high calling. And so that means that everyone in here, we're sent. Um, we're we're going to send, we're going to pray, we're going to do everything that we can, but, but nobody who's a Christian really gets to sit this one out and go, oh, I just want my church to do that work. I want, I want to organize programs that'll do that work. No, we say, we, we want you to get out of the building and go and live on mission. Now, you're probably sitting there going, ooh, I, I don't know if I signed up for this, right? Like, that's crazy. I want to come to church. Uh, you can have my hour, you can have my, you know, a check or whatever, but I don't really want to be involved at that high level. That's exactly what Moses says too. The, the next section that we're going to look at is the God who responds to our objections. Look at how Moses objects. He says, you got the wrong dude, God. You got the wrong guy. Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Are you sure, God, that you want to use me? And God responds with him. He says, verse 12, God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. Here's what we do. Most of us have our excuses for why we can't imagine our entire lives being used for God's glory. And we think, man, we're frail. I don't know if I'd be good at it. I don't know if people would listen to me or respect me. I don't really know if I'd have a platform to do anything significant anyways. We have all of our excuses. But God is saying, but I will be with you. You don't need a, a well-crafted plan. You just need God. And he's saying, I will be sufficient for you to go on this mission, to be a part of this task, and to tell other people the glory of who God is and what he's doing. But all of us, we, we, we come to the table with some hesitations, and I think that's okay. Okay, so this morning, if you're thinking, I don't know if I can do this thing, I actually think that's great. Moses didn't know if he could do it. The reluctance there, if you, if you handle it the right way, it turns into humility. If you handle, if you've got reluctance and you go, I don't know if I'd be good at it. If, if you trust God and you know yourself, that reluctance can turn into humility, which is actually a good thing. Moses became one of the most incredible leaders in all of history. He, he actually got to do what God was calling him to do here. And he lived it out in real time and it, it's profound. We tell stories about it. If we are reluctant, that can actually be an asset. Because if we need faith and dependence upon God and you come to the table and you go, I don't know if I'm going to be any good at this, God can use that to help you become this incredible instrument that he uses to work in the world. So reluctance isn't a bad thing, but God gives the promise of himself. I will be with you. So whatever that looks like tomorrow, if you head off to work and you think God is calling me to, to reach out to my coworkers, God is making that promise to you. I'll be with you. You don't have to do this on your own. I will be with you and I will oversee this whole project. My presence alone is sufficient, God would say. And we need that encouragement because, man, doing this thing is, is hard. It's a lot easier to just attend church, but going on mission with God into the ordinary stuff of life, we need God and he promises himself. God also gives a sign. Look at verse 12. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. 
when you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. He's giving them a sign, and, and I was thinking about it. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a bummer sign. Most of us, if we said, okay, God, are you sure? Are you sure you've got the right guy? Okay, give me a sign. What am I really saying? Show me something today so that I could be faithful tomorrow. Show me something right now that'll convince me that you're going to be with me and this is going to go well. And God's sign looks a lot different. He says, here's my sign to you. One day, eventually, after a whole lot of, you know, discouragements and setbacks, you're going to show up here and you guys are going to worship together. That's my sign to you. It's off in the distance, but that's what faith looks like. God doesn't front load the whole thing and go, hey guys, I want you to be on mission this week. So I'm just going to show you everything you need to know. It's all right in front of you. Here's the sign. It's all going to go well. What does God do? He says, one day you're going to look back on this moment with all of your fear and your trepidation, with all of your hesitations, you're going to look back at this moment and go, God is utterly faithful because you're going to see that God was at work the entire time. And you're going to be worshiping together with the people of God, realizing God was not absent at any point of the trip. And even those moments where it got really hard and discouraging, God was there too. That's the sign that we need. God is at work. And one day we're all going to look back on what we're doing as a church. We're going to look back on the days we met at Harlem High School. We're going to look back at, you know, remember when we were in a diner and they booted us and then they put in another diner? We're going to look back on, remember that season where we met out at the tree farm? We're going to look back on these days and we're going to go, God was there the whole time. He has been so faithful. And all we had to do was trust him and worship him. So God responds to our objections. We say, you've got the wrong guy. And God says, no, I'm with you. And that is sufficient. And here's my sign to you. But here's the second objection. What should I say? Moses is going, okay, if you really want me to go, what on earth could I say that would help people understand who you are and what you're doing? Look at verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What do I say? What shall I tell them? He, he's wondering what on earth could he do that would communicate what God is asking him to do? And what should I tell them? What's your name? You know, how, how are they going to, I'm going to show up. I've been gone 40 years. I'm actually a, an outcast here. I'm going to show up and all of a sudden everyone's just going to listen to me and follow me. What on earth could I say? Now, we do the same thing. If, if you're thinking about your life and you're going, does God really want me to be on mission with him? What on earth am I going to say? Like tomorrow when I go to work, what am I going to say? Is there anything that's going to communicate the, the beauty of God? How on earth could I come up with that? Let's put that off on someone else. Let's let Cor do that. I'll invite him to lunch. He can meet my coworkers. I don't want to do that. What should I say? And God gives a word here. His answer is, here's who I am. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you, which is really weird, right? We'd never say anything like this where I, I am. Okay, what, what's your name? I am. But God does that because he's communicating. He is the self-existent God. He's the one who doesn't really need a name to define him because he simply is. He is the being, the, the greater reality behind everything else. And God is communicating to us then who he is. He's saying, here's all you need to know. Let them know that the great I am has sent you. The God who is. And, and that reveals something about God's character. It also conceals a little bit too. We, we recognize we're dealing with a God who is almost inexplainable. 
that, that we, we're dealing with a God who is profoundly real, but at the same time is inexhaustible in, in the way that we would think about him. He's different. He's different. And it's kind of like when, we, when you know, a kid asks us, we say, hey, Harrison, I want you to do this. And he goes, why? And what do I say? Because I said so, right? A parent, and we don't take the time to always explain all the details of, I'm asking you to do something good for you. This is a reasonable request, yada, yada, yada. Sometimes we just say, because I said so. And I think that's kind of what God is doing here when, we, when we're going, okay, what's your name? God is saying, come on, dude, you're doing this because I said so. I am who I am. Tell them that I am is sending you. God is calling Moses and he's giving him a profound word about what he's going to do. And then he gives three more specific words to the people he's going to talk to. He tells them, you say this to this people, you say this to this people, you say this. He gives three different words. The word to the people, verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. He says, here's what you say. And he, he tees it up. He goes, I'm going to give you word for word the message you communicate to this people. You just let them know that I'm sending you, and here's your word. A word to the leadership in verses 16 and 17. It's the same thing we saw, same exact message God gave to Moses in verses 8 and 9. We will pass over that. The word to the elders, go there, say this, I'm taking you up to the good land with all the ites and milk flowing with you know, land flowing with milk and honey, all the good stuff. Then a word to the king, look at verse 18. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Here's the word to the current king there. He's saying, there's a God, and his word is more profound than your word. There's a God, and he requires our obedience and our worship, and we're going to take a trip. And the king rightly it feels offended by this, and thinks to himself, what? This is crazy. This entire workforce is asking for a vac vacation days on the same days. Like we have to shut things down. He's looking at this and going, no way. But they are saying, here's what's happening. God is inviting us into an experience of worship with him and he's demanding it. And his word is more profound than your word. Now that's offensive, but as Christians, we need to take that posture that God's word trumps every other word. God's word has more authority than any other cultural force in the world. And we need to be people who are willing to say, we're going to go with him. But here's what I'm pointing out. The, the objection is, I don't know what to say. And God tees it up and he goes, here's exactly what you say. And for us this morning, you might be thinking, I don't know if I can use my ordinary mouth to communicate the beauty of the gospel. What on earth could I possibly say? What I need you to hear is that God will give you exactly what you need. If you are faithful to him and you trust him, he will tell you exactly how to communicate. He will, through prayer, reflection, through God's nudgings, he will give you the words to communicate to other people if you will allow it. So finally, he gives a word of promise. And this is at the end here. He gives a word of promise because we are reluctant people. I, I, I agree there's a God who exists. And I agree that he's holy. He's a, a consuming fire. I agree that he invites us into a relationship with him through faith in his son. I agree that he calls us to mission. But what does that look like in my, my life? Reluctance. I know all these things to be true and I see it as a privilege and I'm a pastor and I still go, yeah, but is it really going to work? Is this really going to pan out the way that I hope? And God gives his word of assurance here at the end. 
God will bring the victory. Look at verses 19 and 20. God speaking gives us the indication that it will not be easy. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Verse 20, so I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. God is saying, I'm at work here. It's going to be very difficult. There's going to be a ton of reluctance, but I'm going to do something so profound that that he's compelled and he lets you go. There's a victory coming. And we need to hear that as Christians. We need to be reminded of that often. God is at work. There's a day coming when it's all going to make sense. We're going to see the victory of God, but it's going to be tough sledding in the meantime. But then look at verses 21 and 22. The word of assurance is even better than that. Not only will we be victorious, we will be rich. This is pretty crazy. Verses 21 and 22. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when they leave, so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor or any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Here's what God is saying. Not only will you be victorious, you're going to march out with the resources of Egypt. That's crazy. God is powerful enough, mighty enough, that he can change the hearts of our enemies to be gracious and generous toward us. That they actually got to march out of oppression and slavery, not, you know, kind of in tattered rags going, man, what are we going to do now? They march out of that situation fully resourced. That's the kind of God that we're dealing with. So when he gives his word of assurance and he's saying, look, not only will I be with you, there will be victory and I will give you the resources that you need. Now, I'm not always saying that's going to be monetary stuff or, or, you know, material stuff, but I do believe that God will always give us what we need to accomplish the mission he sends us on. So listen, friends, God does exist. He's real and he wants to be known by you. He's a holy and awesome God and he's made a way for us to have a friendship with him through faith in in the Son, through faith in Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord. And this morning, you can place your faith in him. You can trust in him for salvation. That same God, yeah, Carol, that same God calls us to action. He doesn't just want us sitting at church, kind of nodding our heads and raising our hands in worship. He says, look, if you believe this, your life is mine. And that's a beautiful thing. I'm going to use you. And whatever hesitations we might have, and we go, I can't do it. I don't think I'm qualified. I don't know what I'll say. God says, I'll be with you and I'll give you everything that you need and you can trust me. Let's pray. Lord, help us to have faith in you. We believe that you exist, God. You are a good and gracious God. We believe that you communicate to us. We believe that you're a holy and awesome God and that we're not, that we're not holy that we're sinners and and we're so grateful, God, that you've made a way for us to come near to you. And it's your son, the angel of the Lord. It's the one who who can gain us access to this awesome burning fire of a God. So Lord, would you help us this morning to trust in him and believe in him? And then Lord, don't just let us be church goers. Help us to live our lives on purpose, on mission, helping the community, helping neighbors, helping friends and family members, helping them to hear the news of salvation. We, we want to be ambassadors of our King, King Jesus. Help us to communicate the beautiful message of him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.